My dad had this way of saying, you're not seeing what you're looking at because people mm. will look at us and based on appearances, completely miss who we are, right. whom God has intended us to become, mm. what our gifts are, what our experiences are. And that's true for all of us. So my parents emphasized the importance of our heritage, our legacy, and all the intricate details of that. And at the same time, they were always pointing to the possibilities. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Erin Eddy. And I'm Elisa Morgan. What do you think of when you hear the word hope? Maybe you're hopeful for something, or maybe you have a strong hope in who God says He is, or maybe you feel hopeless, or maybe you're starting to think to yourself, what is hope? Well, today we're talking to a woman that comes from a generation of people hoping for better circumstances. A woman who exemplifies this godly attribute and talks about it with a wisdom that we know comes directly from the Spirit. That lovely woman is Joyce Dinkins. Joyce is an executive editor for our Daily Bread Ministries Voices collection. She has an incredible passion for inclusion and equity. Her career emphasis is amplifying the voices of diverse authors, African American and others in the literary world. She has invested several decades as an editor serving at several Christian publishers across the United States. We're so excited to hear about Joyce's experiences with being a hopeful woman on this episode of God Hears Her. Joyce, we are really honored to have you with us today. Uh, you know, I, I love our conversations on God Hears Her, but I'm especially excited about this one with you because we've known each other for a bit of time and never enough. So I'm excited to dive more into your story. I thank you so much, Lisa. I think that we have had these wonderful, spontaneous sister saint touch points throughout the years, and I do yeah. appreciate you. And I, I, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to share oh. a few stories about God's goodness, and even amidst all of the things that we experience. Yeah, he gives us yeah. great hope. Erin, here's Joyce. I want you to meet each other. I'm so excited to hang out with Joyce because, well, there's a few reasons. And one of them is that, Joyce, just hearing your story and uh, just some background information that I got to read about you. But then when I met your voice as we were uh, <laughs> oh. getting prepared, I thought, goodness, your voice just, it just, sh you can, you can hear the soul and the grit that we were talking about earlier, <laughs> I mean, we can we can hear it, and there's a there's a peacefulness in it, and I can't wait to hear how God has developed that in you because I think that that your voice carries that. Yeah, and and hope just threads through it. You know, can can we just go straight in here, Joyce, and ask you, tell us about your upbringing and who Joyce is, um, what made you who you are. And th then we want to get back to that voice piece, Erin, very perceptive. Yeah. Well, uh, before we get to my story, I just want to say that I did not realize that my voice mattered. 
actually. I didn't realize how God would use and is using my voice. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably true of a lot of us. I do too. It's good. Mm-hmm. Let's see. How, I'll go way back. Oh, good. To uh, <laughs> being the youngest of my mom's four kids mm-hmm. and born in the 50s. Okay. And mm-hmm. I think that even as we think about, as we're enlightened by our family order, our birth order, as well as the uh, decades in which we've experienced different things, it tells a lot about us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what do you really want to know, Elisa? I want to know. <laughs> I want to know where you grew up, and uh, along with your three siblings and your okay. mom. You know, who did you grow up with, and uh, how did it shape you? How did it? How did you come to the point where you weren't sure your voice mattered too? Mm-hmm. You know, help us help us with that journey, if you could. Wow. Well. I grew up in what we would term the neighborhood where black people were allowed to live in a very elite uh, environment. And most of the people, my neighbors on my block, my immediate neighbors were, as we were called back then and as I was defined in my birth certificate, mm-hmm. a Negro. We, we were mm-hmm. ne- Negroes. Mm-hmm. That's how we were identified. And I have parents who migrated to that community along the North Shore, what's called the North Shore of Chicago. Um, My parents migrated from essentially servitude to opportunity. Wow. I mean, they literally hitchhiked, caught a ride with other servants who were trying to get out. Mm. This is in the uh, mid-40s. And uh, my parents were born close to 1900. My dad was 45 when I was born. So the life that I had in this pocket that was Mm. um, connected to privilege but segregated from it at the same time Mm. was part of my upbringing, this pocket where I uh, interacted with, well, immigrants, European immigrants, uh, Mm. Jewish immigrants, Italian immigrants from Europe, And I interacted with Protestants and Catholics, European-American families, Mm -hmm. German, Irish. uh, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there was restriction. Mm -hmm. And then the emphasis that my parents' lives, their stories have on my own is immense Mm -hmm. because they did not forget where they came from. Mm -hmm. And they built a culture in our home within a pocket of culture in a community that was Mm. somewhat diverse but largely Mm. black within, as I said, an elite community of privilege. Can I interrupt and ask, Mm -hmm. where did your parents come from? Absolutely. Love to tell their stories. They migrated from uh, Georgia. Ah, You know, they, they were living, growing up in northwest Georgia and uh, working in uh, Chattanooga. Oh, wow. Uh, they worked as domestic workers on Lookout Mountain, Tennessee. Mm. Mm. So uh, their stories are quite different from my own mm. in terms of segregation that mm. kept them from any opportunity other than servitude or abuse mm. compared to, you know, my opportunities to attend school and some of the best schools in the nation. Their opportunities were, uh, my father never went to school except for church schools 
extremely uh, bright, gifted individual who, if he had not left the South, might not, certainly might not have survived his uh, 20s. And my mother, likewise, was uh, working on Lookout Mountain, Tennessee as a domestic. And really from childhood, she was in the kitchen. She was able to attend what was termed back then the Black High School. She attended Jones High School in uh, Orlando, Florida. She had to actually leave home in order to continue in school and, and live mm-hmm. with relatives because where she was from, Kissimmee, Florida. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's where she went to, uh, went through the eighth grade and graduated. Mm-hmm. So, so you have a long line of um, generations that um, your grandparents, were they indentured? Were they slaves? And then your parents were in domesticity. Help me understand that. And then suddenly you're in Chicago in this elite area. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's stretched. That's how I think mm-hmm. of it. It's a good way to put it. elongated, yeah. but it's a, it's a real yeah. stretch to be able to say that my paternal grandfather was born mm-hmm. a slave. Mm-hmm. And what it meant for him, I've written about this, and it's a story kind of like other stories that are so memorable, you just keep retelling them because they're so, so valid, uh, so profound. Yes, my dad's dad was born a slave, and that affected everything. And um, my maternal grandfather was a European-American tenant farmer who never claimed my mother as his own. And Mm. then the grandmother's my paternal grandmother was born during Reconstruction. Well, we know how long Reconstruction lasted. Reconstruction <laughs> lasted for a blip in terms <laughs> yeah. of coming after the Civil War and their freedom, my grandfather's freedom. Um, my my grandmother, my dad's mom, was um, born in Reconstruction when there were rights extended, but then they were withdrawn with uh, Abraham Lincoln's assassination and Andrew Johnson becoming president, there was the restoration of the Confederacy, there was restoration of quote-unquote states' rights, and there was implementation of the Black Codes. And those were the laws that again segregated people of color, Black people, African Americans, Negroes, to either work above the ground sharecropping, Mm -hmm. which was a near slavery, cotton, corn, Mm -hmm. rice, Mm -hmm. or below the ground, mining. Uh, The Black Codes restricted freedom. Mm -hmm. So I had access to freedom in my home, but I never forgot, and I still don't forget, where my parents came from, where my grandparents came from. Mm -hmm. I even have my maternal grandmother was raised on the Indian Reservation in Oklahoma, Creek Indian. Oh, sure. So black and native and either enslaved by or working alongside uh, Indians, native peoples. And that's a whole nother chapter. So it's it's an interesting history to be able Mm -hmm. to talk about and write about. Is it appropriate to the image that's coming to my mind, Joyce, is a, a, a quilt? of so many different textures mm-hmm. and experiences and sufferings and mm-hmm. giftings 
Um, I mean, you you have the African American, you have the you have the American Indian, you have immigrants from Europe, you have so many textures, and yet, as you said, your parents, your mom, made sure that you understood your unique thread, you know, in the in the quilt of yes. your own specific heritage. Yes, I think one of the mm-hmm. things I'd like to say is that my parents were excellent in helping their children me included, to understand the complexity of an individual life Mm. and the appreciation for an individual life. And at the same time, as my mother wrote in one of her diaries that we, we gave to her and asked her to just tell her story so we could retain it, my mother said that she grew up because she was surrounded by European-Americans working in the kitchen. And uh, there was a sweet woman, Mrs. Persons, who took a liking to her as a child and Mm -hmm. who would carry my mother with her on different trips that the family would take. And my mother said that she used to think that she was white. Mm -hmm. And then she found out as a young person that she would be black for the rest of her life. Wow because she was a person of color. And so my parents helped me to understand uh, very early that others, and I I just spoke this recently at the Evangelical Christian Publishing Association in, in a letter to the leaders of publishing, that people seeing me or seeing them weren't necessarily seeing what they were looking at. Yeah. My dad had this way of saying, you're not seeing what you're looking at, because people Mm. will look at us and, based on appearances, completely miss who we are, whom God has intended us to become, Mm. what our gifts are, what our experiences are. And that's true for all of us. So my parents emphasized the importance of our heritage, our Mm. legacy, and all the intricate details of that. And at the same time, they were always pointing to the possibilities Yeah. that we could have hope, that we weren't simply somebody else's estimation of a black person, somebody else's estimation, although that estimation could be grand, but it could also be negative. I was just about to ask you, Joyce, when you said um, there's hope in seeing the possibilities Mm-hmm. How do you find hope in the possibilities when you've been surrounded by oppression and segregation and injustice and objectification and being dehumanized and not being seen but being seen? How do you find hope when, when you can feel hopeless? Yeah, I think that uh, hope is what comes to me right now. I have a lot of notes mm-hmm. and a lot of writings about hope. But hope, uh, to me, is the truth. Mm. Knowing the truth gives me hope. That's good. And as a believer, once I became a believer, once I read Scripture, I had a lens through which I could see life. Mm. Prior to reading Scripture, I had the stories of my parents who escaped lynching, Mm. rape, degradation, poverty, and uh, those stories and the love, oh, the love Mm -hmm. that they were capable 
of sharing not only with me and my siblings, the love was potent for us. And it wasn't only the love for us, it was the love for people whom they didn't know, but who represented in the communities in which I grew up, possible adversaries. Because of culture, because of history, my parents, however, taught me from an early age not to take abuse from anyone, Mm. to make certain to tell an adult if I'm being uh, abused or mistreated, to tell a leader uh, in Mm. my school, but they also made sure that I didn't look at others and make assumptions. So I always had uh, training to look at people, other people, as individuals, too. You know, they they were simple. They were bottom line, Mm. trying to apply the golden rule Mm. to treat other people the way you want to be treated. Because uh, they were capable, after all that Uh they'd been through, to love enemies. Yeah. Well, that'll inject some hope into you. (laughs) They modeled that to you. (laughs) That's right, they they did. They modeled that. You know, the back door was open to any child from the school who wanted to come, and they got the same chocolate chip cookies that I got. Might get get a bigger one (laughs) than I got. You know, uh, these were people who, they weren't perfect. No, they weren't perfect. But they did strive to love us and to love others, and also at the same time to stand up for what's right. When we come back, Joyce will share more about the theme of hope through her life as she came to know God for herself on this episode of God Hears Her. Christmas is coming, and we have a great way to help you celebrate it joyfully. The God Hears Her, A Joyful Christmas Kit includes our new 31-day devotional with special readings for both morning and evening so you can start and end your day focused on Jesus. There's a joyful Christmas ornament to hang on your tree, as well as a notepad and pen to write notes. You'll also get access to coloring sheets, a frameable print, prayer prompts, and the God With Us booklet so that you can download it. Go to GodHearsHer.org slash Joyful Christmas to order your Christmas kit and get ready for a joy-filled Christmas. Now back to the show. I find it so refreshing and powerful, Joyce, that you define hope as truth. I'm not sure I've ever heard it defined that way. And I think of Jesus saying, you know, I am the truth and the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. And and what an incredibly powerful weaving of concepts you've just expressed describing, you know, generations coming from slavery to freedom. And, mm-hmm. and you and we hear, hear the hope in your story. And then you describing hope as truth mm-hmm. that sets you free. I just those layers are just so powerful. Well, let's me. let's slather on another layer. I want <laughs> okay. to slather it. All right. Do it. All right. I'm ready. You know what? You know what? Now, God is love. So when we talk about hope, we talk about faith. Ultimately, we're talking about the love of God. God is love. So he is our hope. He is our hope. His love is our hope. It doesn't, I've experienced in my decades, 
It does not matter what it is that opposes us. Love Mm. will allow us to overcome. Mm. Mm. I love how you say it overcomes. It does. And I hear this passion in you, and I've actually seen this passion at work in you. And that is, you come from a place where you said you didn't even know you had a voice to a place where you have a voice, and then to a further calling do you help other people discover yeah. their voices? But, you know, isn't that true of us that we can minister mm-hmm. either what we've been delivered from or delivered into? Yeah. I'll tell you, when I was uh, I was young, I think the first speech I gave was probably on one of those days, you know, the show and tell. Mm-hmm. You know, that's powerful. Show and tell is a powerful day. It remains. <laughs> it's a powerful day. <laughs> you know, especially when... You're different. Yeah. And you know, in a in sense, either because you've been, it's been explained to you. Yeah. And my parents didn't send us to, into that classroom without explaining some things. You know, some people call it the talk. Some people mm-hmm. call it, that, you know, whatever you want to call it. They explain some things now. Yeah. This might happen to you. If this, if they call you a name, this is what you do. That's right. Mm. Right. Uh, and uh, mm. this is who you tell, you know, if this. So w- we had talks. You know, so standing up at show and tell with a teacher, thank God for good teachers. Ooh, <laughs> yes. Thank yes. you, Lord. Mm-hmm. With a teacher who celebrated that I had mm-hmm. something to say, something, whatever it was. You know, I could have been talking about a potato, show and tell a, a potato. <laughs> she was listening and she valued it, right? Oh, that's so important. Wow. Right. So I had these little lessons, Mm -hmm. and I think I remember when I was in eighth grade, I wrote a poem. My dad had made a little desk in my room because um, they nurtured literacy in us. Mm -hmm. You know, literacy is the right to vote. Literacy Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. fair housing. Literacy is, you know, a right to a full, however much education one wants to pursue. You know, literacy is being able to read and explore and and more, you know. So I wrote a little poem and um, was uh, invited to deliver it. It was about Abraham Lincoln and uh, his part, his participation, as I understand it now, in mm-hmm. in freedom for mm-hmm. African Americans. You know what's so beautiful, Joyce, is that, you know, Earlier you said that you were brought up in finding hope and all of the possibilities and then being gifted, somebody listening to your voice. And then now it's so cool the position that you're in in gifting, seeing other people's voices, Mm -hmm. but then also uh, expanding possibilities. Yeah. I mean, that's that's such a beautiful thread from from your life. Well, you know, I'm thinking about he who has sinned much loves much. Mm. Now, the, the way I'm thinking about that is that he who has been through a lack of listeners, a lack mm. of listening, mm. loves to listen and loves to share. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I'll say mm. for, for my life, for both parts, you know, I, I, I came to understand that I was free, that mm. I could have spiritual freedom when I was mm. 30 years old. So, you know, I had a lot of sin up to the age of 30 mm. <laughs> I, that, I, that I couldn't put anywhere. 
I, I couldn't stuff it in the corner. I couldn't, you know, I had a, I describe it as a monkey on my back, just dogging me, you know, wow. you know, uh, experiences because I knew what the Ten Commandments were, mm-hmm. but I didn't know about grace. Mm. All right. Tell me, will you tell me about that? Well, you know, I think it's good for us to remember that yeah. we, you know, we're we're still falling short, right? right. We can't, yeah. we can't, we're still falling short of how Jesus lived and who He is. Yeah, we're not God. We mm-hmm. have Christ in us, that hope again of glory, right? We have Him in us. Well, yeah. I didn't have that hope because my this is some nitty gritty stuff here. Okay, my dad, although his father and his uncles and their close friends were church planters in Northwest Georgia. Mm-hmm. And they used those churches, again, to educate, uh, to mm-hmm. liberate, and to, to everything, because the church in the lives of African Americans is the central institution mm-hmm. for everything, right? Mm-hmm. But even though he had this uh, history uh, he inherited, my dad hated the church. Wow. Okay. Yeah. One reason that he disliked the church, hate is a strong word, but he did hate it, mm-hmm. was because the institution, many, most Southern churches that my dad experienced, validated his father's enslavement, mm-hmm. validated nonsense like the curse of Canaan being the curse of Ham. And, you know, wow. churches validated that. So between whatever hypocrisy he saw in the church, that was a stumbling block, but he hated the church that had enslaved his dad and deprived his dad of uh, having more than the life of uh, someone who was owned. And so he wasn't really for us attending church. My mother, on the other hand, Hmm. she, in light of my father's distaste (laughs) for the church, she would send us over to the black church. Mm-hmm. And she'd send my brother and I, uh, I think at times I was barefoot, and I, but I had a dime wrapped up in a handkerchief and I would hold my brother's hand. He was a year and a half older and we'd go over to the African Methodist Episcopal Church, St. Paul. And um, on one Sunday or one Easter, because mm-hmm. we didn't go regularly, We're those kids that we need to watch out for, that we need to welcome in. I was one of them, Mm -hmm. the stragglers, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So on one of those events, I think it was Easter, we were given medallions that expressed the Ten Commandments. So Mm -hmm. from age about five Mm -hmm. until age 30, I never heard the gospel. Mm -hmm. I celebrated Christmas. On the fringe, I celebrated, you know, uh, Easter on the fringe. I knew Mm -hmm. to tell the truth. I knew to do as my parents displayed in front of me, to have a heart Mm -hmm. for those who are less fortunate. Mm -hmm. I knew these, some of these things, but I didn't know that Jesus died for my sins. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit was drawing me through my mother's prayers, through my exposures to this you talk about quilts, this scrap huh. mm-hmm. of truth, this huh. scrap of truth. But it all came together and warmed my soul. Wow. One day when I heard this preacher, I was uh, introduced to this church on the south side of Chicago. 
Grace Conservative Baptist Church by a neighbor. I was going through dramatic life changes, wondering why I wasn't satisfied with this lovely suburban home and the new car in the driveway and the furs on my back and my neck dripping with jewels. And I had my education and I had achieved and I wasn't poor, but there was seemed not not only that something was missing, it was like life was missing, real life was missing. Well, I the mm. Lord fixed that. I met mm. someone, they took me to church, and I heard the gospel. Wow. And this yeah. preacher, yeah. within 30 minutes, went from the Old Testament sacrifices where the blood was flowing through the temple, so much sloshing around, to the sprinkling of Jesus' blood on the mercy seat mm. and the veil of the temple being torn in two, and I had free access to come mm. boldly to the throne mm. of grace and be forgiven. Mm. Well, if I could have jumped, I always say if I could have jumped up and leapt over the pews, <laughs> I would have. I was like, you know, this is the full story. I'm in, yeah. I'm in. And the scripture yeah. that the scriptures that said it all right above the pulpit on a mm. banner. Ephesians 2, mm. 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you're saved through faith, mm. and that not of yourselves. It's mm. the gift mm -hmm. of God. Not anything I could work up, nothing I can boast about. Mm. That got it for me. And in the realization, the Holy Spirit opened up my mind and heart, and I was, uh, well, I've been looking for this my whole life. Mm. Yeah. This is the space in between the commandments mm. and the truth. Yep. And the hope, the freedom. Mm. That's beautiful, Joyce. You use your life now. You use your voice now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to really connect other voices mm -hmm. to the hope of Jesus and yeah. help other people express the hope of Jesus mm -hmm. with yes. their voice. Talk to us about how you do that. Well, uh, you, you mentioned it earlier. Both of you dropped in the emphasis of my voice mattering mm -hmm. and, and my using my voice so that others' voices will matter. Yeah. And how I do that is the same way, miraculous as God does things that are miraculous, gave mm -hmm. me this position at Our Daily Bread Ministries as an executive editor. And um, I was well into my second year of executing the Our Daily Bread devotional. I received the opportunity to uh, work with uh, what we call Voices, the Voices mm -hmm. Collection. And uh, our motto, I'll give you the an unfolding of the, an acronym, Voices, Valuing Others, Including Cultures, Expressing Stories or Expressing Scripture. Mm. But also our, our mm -hmm. motto, so that it's clear, is see us. Yeah, I love that. Hear us experience our stories. And so uh, about two years into my seven years now with Our Daily Bread, I was given the opportunity to acquire, develop, include more and more people of color. Mm -hmm. And in my case, particularly African-Americans, mm -hmm. when I started with the ministry, I was given the, the task of bringing more diversity more diverse voices into mm -hmm. the devotional. And we did that. But we wanted to have an emphasis on 
working with African-American content creators because of the, the lack of representation. And so, yes, I go to conferences. I connect with peers in the publishing industry who know that there's a place at Our Daily Bread to be heard. Mm-hmm. And then, in fact, we are strategically, intentionally, as you and Elisa do and as others do at the ministry, bringing in those different stories. Yeah. yeah. What would you say to a woman that's struggling with seeing hope as the truth of who God is? And then my other question is, how do they know that God sees them when they can't feel him? Well, it sounds generic, but I would say the first thing is to listen. (laughs) That may include a stop and listen, because Mm -hmm. I just believe God's word, and he he doesn't play favorites. And I was 30 years Mm -hmm. old, and I looked around. I had not been reading the Bible. I did not have that hope. I did not have the truth. But I knew, and I think we all know, we sense things that, you know, we were missing something. What's missing? So I I listened. I was seated in my home, in my living room, newly carpeted, newly decorated. Like I said, everything that was supposed to be fulfilling, supposed to be successful in life, I had that in my view. Mm -hmm. So what I would say is, at that point, I asked the question of myself, you know, is this it? Mm. Is this all that, that there is? And I listened. And what I heard, not audibly, was a prompting. And the prompting was this, go open that book. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. We didn't read scripture in the home where I grew up. Mm -hmm. But when I read the scripture, it spoke to me. And I listened to what it was saying. And it was telling me the truth. It wasn't too long after that that my life fell apart. Mm You know, the house that's built on the wrong foundation? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> my, my life fell apart, and I cried out to God. I, so the second word is cry out to God. Hmm. You can do that before or after you listen. <laughs> One of the orders. That's okay. But I just, I didn't. I love that. I didn't have some, some liturgical program mm-hmm. to yeah. recount. I didn't even know any of these things. But yeah. I just said, I knew a little bit about prayer, and uh, I prayed. I said, oh, God, help me. Yeah. The Word of God is alive mm. yeah. and life-giving, and that's mm. what I found as a, a fairly ignorant 30-year-old, mm. really ignorant about the real depth of what life can be. Yeah. And I would also want, if I were with the individual, I would sing to them, you know. Joyce, you're just amazing. (laughs) I'm going to welcome that. And you know what, you asked for it, but (laughs) I think we're going to invite you right now then. Would you just sing over, just sing over our listeners just for a minute, Joyce? Mm. Use your voice. So, you know, I'm thinking, I always like to to ask the Lord, what is it I'm supposed to sing? Okay. What comes to mind is an older song. There's not a friend like 
the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else can heal all my soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. Oh, Jesus knows all about our struggles well he will guide till the day is done there's not a friend like the lowly jesus no not one no not one. Wow, Joyce is such a symbol of hope for the people around her. You can feel her wisdom while speaking to her, can't you, Erin? Yes, Elisa, she is incredible. I still can't get over her voice. So good. Well, before we close out today's episode of God Hears Her, we want to remind you that the show notes are available in the podcast description. The show notes not only contain the talking points for today's episode, but they also have links to connect with Elisa and me on social and a link for the God Hears Her Christmas package. You can visit our website at godhearsher.org. That's godhearsher.org. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, God hears you. He sees you and he loves you because you are his. Today's episode was engineered by Ann Stevens and produced by Mary Jo Clark, Daniel Ryan Day, and Jade Gustafson. Today, we also want to recognize Chrysanthia and Toria for their help in creating the God Hears Her podcast. Thank you. God Hears Her is a production of Our Daily Bread Ministries.